0: When it comes to investing, retirement, and legacy planning, the decisions you make today can greatly impact the quality of life for both you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight, unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your financial future. Good news. You found the Growing Your Wealth radio show with Brian Evans. Brian is the founder of Madrona Financial Services, and with his background as a CPA, he brings a unique perspective to the investment and financial planning world. So get ready for an hour full of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Thank you so much and
1: welcome to Growing Your Wealth, a radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to invest better, live better, retire better, and give better. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from the expert Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. How you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Always glad to hear that, of course. Glad our listeners are with us today. I hope they're doing well today, too. Always enjoy talking to the people here of the Greater Puget Sound area, and always enjoy getting your questions and your comments. People email us from our website, which is madronafinancial.com. Keep those questions and comments coming. If you got a topic for the show, we'd love to hear about it there as well, too. On today's show, uh, Brian, I want to start by talking about one of the basics of income for people who are getting into retirement, and that's Social Security. Now, for a lot of folks, Social Security makes up a significant portion of their retirement income, sort of the foundation or the bedrock. On average for your clients, how much does Social Security make up of someone's income?
2: Yeah, of the income, it's actually sometimes kind of a a pretty significant amount, percentage. We have to supplement most people's income with draws from their investment accounts. So I'm not necessarily going to call, let's say you had a a million dollars in your IRA account. You know, sure, there's some dividends and interest from that, but mostly it's from the growth of it and you take distributions. So the the common ways that people get income in retirement, uh, Social Security, maybe a pension, maybe a fixed index annuity with lifetime cash flow or a rental income is, is often a part of the retirement income. So income's a little tough to find sometimes in retirement. So this is the bedrock of it, the Social Security.
1: And Social Security, you can take it to many different forms. On average around the country, Social Security makes up about 35 to 40 percent of someone's income in retirement. It is the bedrock. That's what we start off with when we're trying to figure retirement income We put that down. and Then, of course, you add the other sources of income. As you said, it may be a pension. For a lot of people, they don't have pensions these days. And then you just go from there. But there are ways that you can maximize Social Security. And I want to talk about that a little bit in this particular segment. A lot of people misunderstand Social Security. And I think if you go into one of those coffee shops very early in the morning where all the retired guys uh, gather and you ask them at what age they took Social Security, the majority of them will say, Well, I took it at 62 because that was the earliest I could take it, and I'm worried that there isn't going to be Social Security. But 62 can be a big mistake, taking Social Security that early, can't it?
2: Yeah, it can be a mistake for a couple reasons. One is it limits how much you can make for the next five years. Because if you make more than about $18,000, you've got to start giving it back. And so you've locked into Social Security. And if you have to give it back, you don't get any more raises like you did before by deferring it. So some people will go, well, now that I'm taking it at sixty-two. I can only work very part time, make make you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand in a year, and it it that may affect their retirement because maybe if they hadn't done that, they could make a lot more and have a little bit better financial retirement. The other place where it can be a big mistake is if the higher earner, let's say it's the, the male in this case, is older and they pass away way before their spouse passes away, then the spouse doesn't get as much for the rest of her life because took it early and and uh, The amount is is low, and so she only gets that low amount perhaps going forward instead of a much higher amount had the, the husband waited.
1: Okay, so Brian, if you take Social Security early at age 62, you are limited. It's called an earnings test that you can make before you have to give money back. And for each uh, $2 that you make over that earnings test, and this year it's $18,960. We don't know what it's going to be in the coming year, probably a little over 19000 But if you make more than that, you've got to give back a dollar for every $2 you earn over that. So that is something to think about if you're thinking about taking Social Security at age 62. Now, when we talk about earnings, this money, Brian, this is actually W-2 or this is actually earned income, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's earned income. It's not investment income. So some people get confused by that. It's not your rental properties, but it would be your Schedule C business. It's uh, your W-2 wages, 1099 earnings. Those would count, but other kinds of income, capital gains and so forth don't count towards that.
1: So you can take it as early as 62. You can take it as late as age 70. I mean, you can take it after age 70. You won't get any more, but then there's that space between 66 and 70. And for most people, that is their full retirement age. How do you figure that?
2: Yeah, for most people, it's age 67 now. Uh, Depending on how old you are, it may be a little bit different, 66 and 10 months or whatever. But let's just say it's 67. So, again, you can take it at 62. If you wait, uh, every year you're going to get a lifetime increase of six and a half percent for the rest of your life. And so it just keeps stepping up at six and a half percent per year till age 67. Now at age 67, you may like to take it uh, if you're working, because at age 67, you can make unlimited earnings and not have to pay anything back. So a lot of people wait until uh, if they've done their planning and and plan on working in their... Their 60s, uh, they'll wait until they retire before they take Social Security, or they'll wait till age 67 because again, you can make as much, earn as much as you want at, at that point.
1: So full retirement age is somewhere between 66 and 67 for everybody out there, and it depends upon when you were born. And again, there's a Social Security retirement estimator online. Simply just uh, Google that, and you'll find when your full retirement age is. But it's between 66 and 67. Now, as I said, you can take it up to age 70, and after your full retirement age, though, let's say that it's 67, between 67 and 70, you actually get more than a six percent increase per year for every year that you wait.
2: Yeah, the six and a half percent increase uh, jumps up to eight percent. But you know, you, you'll get eight percent more every you know, every year uh, going forward. However, you gave up twelve checks to get it. So there's a break-even calculation. Often that break-even calculation is about age seventy-nine. But you know, I, and, uh, so I've it's it's not that easy to always figure it out because a lot of people go well, if I'm sixty-seven, yeah, I could wait till seventy and have more, but I kind of want money in my 60s more than my 80s, because I I probably won't spend it in my 80s. Okay, that's valid. But in the case where, as I mentioned before, where let's say the husband, you know, made a lot more than the wife, and maybe the wife's going to survive him uh, a lot of years, it may make sense to set her up because upon the husband's passing, uh, whatever the wife's Social Security was, let's say it was much lower, the wife would now would, would get the husband's Social Security at whatever level right. it is for, for him at that time. So sometimes it's better to wait knowing that there'll be a lot more paid out for a lot more years if she's
1: younger, healthier, more long-lived. And that's a good point, too, uh, to wait until age 70, because if you get more, she gets more. If you would happen to pass away, there's also a spousal benefit. And let's say that uh, the younger of the spouses, let's say the wife in this case, takes it at age 62. That is before full retirement age. And then the husband in this case takes it at full retirement age 67. In his case, she doesn't really get quite half of his social security check. It's actually reduced, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is reduced. And and so there's a lot of combinations and permutations if the ages are kind of close. Uh, we, we do have a social security optimization program we can uh, plug things into. And will give us a path to uh, different options as to what makes sense for that person but it often just starts uh, you know forget the calculations I can kind of do a lot of them in my head Mm -hmm. Uh, but sometimes it's real obvious uh, whether someone should take it earlier or wait Um, you know if you don't have a good family history and and good health and you might want to tend to take it earlier unless you have to give it back so again there's sometimes just the question answer can get us to the right right answer on this
1: And in that case, in that illustration that I talked about there, too, because the uh, spouse took it at age 62, actually she's going to get about 32.5% of her husband's Social Security instead of half because she took it early. So that's something else to consider. We're talking about Social Security maximization here with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Brian, I'm surprised that a lot of people don't realize that Social Security is taxed. Yeah, Social Security
2: is taxed. Uh, it can be, it, you know, the tax rate can be zero if you don't have any other earnings. But if you have other earnings from any source, uh, really, then uh, up to 85% of it can be taxable income. And so I don't know why they capped it at 85%. I've never really figured that. Why not just make it 100%? But they've capped it at 85%. So your Social Security times 85% can go on as taxable income at whatever your highest marginal tax bracket is.
1: Brian, Social Security is probably one of the most talked about aspects of a retirement plan that people have questions about. How does Social Security fit into a retirement plan?
2: Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, And I go to advisor conferences across the country and often I'm the main speaker, but uh, I talk to other advisors and they'll do lunch seminars or dinner seminars. And uh, the topic that gets the most response and the most butts in the chair is Social Security. Which, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I could see that. So there's a lot of confusion out there about Social Security and when to take it. And, uh, you know, I integrate it, we integrate it here as part of our financial planning process for sure. Because we like to do a financial plan for people that are considering moving their assets over to us because it, it helps us, you know, it's kind of the blueprint for what we're going to do. I don't want to build a house, just, yeah, put it over there somewhere and, <laughs> and make it go up and, oh, yeah. sideways, I guess. And here's some lumber and a couple tools. You know, that's how I think a lot. That's it seems to me like a lot of financial planning is kind of that. Uh, where's the plans and the blueprints? Uh, we don't have any plans or blueprints. That's that's going to take a lot of time and effort. We don't want to do that. Well, we do. So we kind of make everybody go through, uh, it's not excruciating, but it's not easy a financial planning process to get a financial plan in place. So we can look at all these attributes and then I can look at this and my advisors can look at it and go, aha, uh-huh, this is what we need to do for Social Security. This is where we need to input a fixed index annuity or not. This is where we need to do different things. So that's, that's kind of the, the tool we use, our blueprint for financial
1: plans. Brian, there are a lot of choices uh, to make when it comes to Social Security. If someone makes the wrong choice, they start Social Security. Is there an opportunity for them to suspend that and maybe even start it again later?
2: Uh, it's not really a suspension, but there is an opportunity. You can give it back. Okay. You, uh, if it's in the, I think the first year, let's say that you you go, I'm 62 and there's no way I'm going back to work at Boeing or wherever. I'm I'm never going to work another day in my life. And then you get into your Social Security, and six months later you go. My, I am so bored watching Judge Judy and watching it rain outside <laughs> yeah, right, when right. I was going to go golfing and it's October and, you know, whatever it is. So then uh, then you get a call from Boeing and say, would you like to come work 20 hours a week? We'll pay you, you know, 100 grand a year as a consultant. And then the person goes, yeah, that sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I took Social Security early. Well, you can give that money back and pretend you never started. So that,
1: yeah, there is an out if you've started. And again, that's called Start, Stop, Start. And if you have questions about Social Security and how it integrates into your plan, of course, Madrona Financial is the place to get your answers. If you'd like a complimentary, no cost, no obligation financial plan from the folks here at Madrona Financial, if you have at least $500,000 to invest and you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, give Madrona Financial a call, 844-MADRONA. You can also request your plan online at madronafinancial.com. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth. We'll
0: take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show after this. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with your host, Brian Evans. Now, here's
2: Brian. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about federal and state estate taxes.
1: And Brian, everybody loves taxes. I say that facetiously, but everybody needs to be aware of what their tax situation is in this segment. We'll talk about the uh, tax summary, as you said, federal and state. Brian, before we get into the details, what is an estate tax?
2: Yeah, an estate tax is different from an income tax. So everybody knows what an income tax is. And there's all kinds of different taxes. And a lot of politicians are trying to change the names on a lot of these taxes. Certainly as you, when you work, there's something called an income tax. We pay taxes on our earnings. When you sell something at a gain that you've held for over a year, that's a capital gains tax. Uh, when you buy something at the store, that's a sales tax. When you own a business in the state of Washington, there is an excise tax, a business and occupation tax, there's fuel taxes, there's all these different taxes out there. There's something called an estate tax, and that's a tax on your value, the value of your assets, all of your assets uh, upon your death. And I mean everything. It's your your retirement accounts, your house, your investments, uh, your stuff, your cars, your your Furniture, it's everything. So the federal government says you can have a certain amount that we're not going to tax you on. In the state of Washington, same thing. You can have a certain amount we're not going to tax you on. But over and above that amount, we're going to nail you. So, <laughs> And and so the state's threshold is much lower than the federal threshold currently. And these numbers can change, and they change all the time. But that's what it is. It's a tax on all of your assets upon your passing, unless you're married and uh, you get a a delay. Uh, Certainly the assets from the deceased spouse can go to the surviving spouse without paying the tax, but now they're loaded up in that surviving spouse's estate and that may make for a very taxable estate later.
1: So Brian, as you said, there's a federal and there's a state tax, and as we said, these figures can change. In the state of Washington, how much can you pass on without incurring an income tax bill?
2: Well, uh, that's uh, a, a kind of a low amount. it's 2.2 million and uh, so for a single person, the first 2.2 is fine. For a married couple, same thing unless they have a proper will or living trust that has a certain paragraphs in it called a credit shelter trust provision. It's called the AB trust. the marital exemption it goes by many names. But basically if you have a, an updated will or living trust and you're married, you can carve out two different $2.2 million exclusions by having a uh, trust provision in your will. It's a very important paragraph, because if you're at the 20% uh, state of Washington estate tax, and you got an extra 2200000 million you're paying on, well, my math says that's a $440,000 mistake. That you, The heir is saying, well, where's that other 440000 Uh Yeah, mom and dad didn't bother to <laughs> spend a couple grand on a will, so we're out four forty. dollars uh, Congratulations, Inslee, you got a bunch of money to right, spend right. on something. Yeah, so most people don't want to have that, you know, conversation, their kids talking about them uh, someday uh, about that. So get that uh, will or living trust updated and make sure, because a lot of people, you know, it used to be, I'd talk about 2.2 million. They go, I don't have that kind of money. I'm like, oh yeah, you do. Your house is now worth a million and a half. Oh yeah. And my, oh yeah, my retirement account's way up too. And oh gosh, you're right. I never thought of it, but we're multimillionaires, aren't we? Yep. And so a lot of people, especially in the last few years, certainly most of my clients, are in a Washington estate tax situation if it's only the 2200000 million we're talking about.
1: So if I'm hearing you correctly, Brian, there are ways that you can mitigate that tax bill with a will or a living trust. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are definitely ways. Um,
2: one of the jokes I make, uh, because Washington's one of the only states that has a really low estate tax threshold. And so, uh, one of the jokes I make with a lot of my clients is when you start feeling not very well and you're older, <laughs> go ahead and move to Texas or Arizona <laughs> or someplace else, <laughs> yeah. Florida. Uh, move there, uh, that last year of your life so that, uh, you're, you're no longer a Washington resident and you don't have to pay the Washington estate tax. Uh, I laugh about that, but, Actually, I have a lot of clients that have moved from the state of Washington because of this issue, period. And it is a number of clients. So because we have this owner's tax in the state of Washington, uh, people are avoiding it that way. Now, another way to avoid it is through uh, you can set up uh, trusts and and fund them with life insurance policies and, and have money come out of your estate to pay for the life insurance that is held outside of your estate. When you pass away, that money is not paid into your estate and getting taxed. It's outside of your estate, and there's no income tax, there's no estate tax, no nothing tax, and you lowered your estate by taking money out during your lifetime to make the premium. So there are, you know, I could spend hours talking about
1: uh, estate tax planning, but I just want to talk about the basics in this segment. So at Madrona Financial Services, you can talk about this stuff, but if you do want a will or you want a, a living trust, you would go to an estate planning attorney. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. There are certain
2: things that we, we don't do at Madrona Financial. I'm glad you brought that up. We do not list real estate for sale. Mm-hmm. We are not a bank. We are not attorneys. We can't draft legal documents. So wills and living trusts are legal documents. And so, yes, you would want to consult
1: an estate attorney and get that done right. But if someone doesn't know an estate attorney and you're a client of Madrona Financial, do you have estate planning attorneys that you know and trust that you work with regularly?
2: Absolutely. So we can work with yours, no problem. Uh, Or if you don't have one, we'll provide one for you.
1: So let's say that a client does go to an estate planning attorney and gets this will or living trust. I mean, they pay the attorney. Does it ever happen that that's the end of it? They don't do anything else? Well, often, uh, in fact, I'd
2: say most of the time I've seen somebody do a living trust, they actually don't execute the, <laughs> okay. what they have to do. They get this big old uh, notebook, and they pay a lot of money, and they, go, and they take it home, they put it on the shelf, and first page, if they open that notebook, says you have to do these things. You have to retitle all your assets oh. into the name of the living trust, and a lot of people don't do that. So make sure that not only do you get the document drafted, but you actually uh, go through with what it says to do.
1: So, Brian, we've talked about the state of Washington. What about the federal?
2: Yeah, the federal, I, I talked about the state of Washington first because, uh, well, we're in the state of Washington, and that affects a lot more people. Now, the federal exemption is higher. Uh, it changes from time to time, depending on the administration. I'm not going to say what the amount is, because by the time you know, somebody goes back and listens to this six months from now, they're going to go, wait, that changed. So so I won't even say what it is, but it's it's higher than the state of Washington one. And the same, same applies. If you have a very high dollar amount estate, you definitely want to make sure your will or living trust is updated because think about this. Let's say you have a $50 million estate and, you know, you you didn't uh, get the two halves uh, for federal purposes. Instead of a $440,000 mistake, like I said, it can be for the state of Washington. We're talking millions, of dollars of extra tax you would have to pay. That's a pretty expensive uh, mistake. So uh, definitely get, get your will or living trust updated. Uh, I say that over and over. But the reason I say that is, uh, you know, my clients are great and the people I talk to all the time, I'd say about 50% of the time I'm talking to a new client prospect, they do not have an updated will or living trust or one at all. And so uh, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just, okay, this is just another thing we should check off. We should have a financial plan done. Check. We should have the Will or Living Trust. Check. We should have a uh, take a look at our income and expenses for the rest of our life. Check. We should have proper asset allocation uh, between stocks, bonds, cash equivalents, fixed index annuities, Delaware statutory trust, rentals, uh, whatever it is. Check. So these are the things that are really important in the process. And this is just a piece of it, the federal estate tax work that we would do.
1: Brian, you said earlier that only about 50% of people have a living will or trust. Why is that?
2: Well, I think the biggest reason is, um, and it's, it has partly to do with why I even uh, started Madrona Financial in the first place uh, within Bauer Evans CPAs way back in the day. And it's because most financial advisors, are prohibited from giving income tax advice, estate planning advice, because they're not licensed CPAs. Most people do not have an estate attorney on their speed dial. Okay, they just don't. Most people's CPA it can fill out the forms, so I can you know, when you die, I can fill out the, the 706 or the or if you do a gift, a 709 or whatever, I can I can fill out the forms, but I'm not really a planner. Most CPAs cannot give investment advice, so they really can't talk about Premium finance, fixed index, universal life within an irrevocable life insurance trust, and the annual crummy trust letters that have to be provided when you make those gifts. I, you know, I'm nerding out here on purpose. <laughs> so it's because it's a very complicated area that that you you need the investment products, you need the CPA knowledge and background, the tax taxation knowledge, the the financial planning knowledge. You need all of this uh, working together, and that just is rare in our industry. These these different disciplines do not work together very. Very often at all. We've put that together here at Madrona and I'm really proud of that, that we can work with that.
1: We're talking about estate taxes here, both federal and Washington, here on Growing Your Wealth. If you have questions about that, of course, contact Madrona Financial Services and ask your specific questions. Once again, if you have at least $500,000 to invest, you're looking to hire a new financial advisor, you want someone who can discuss these higher end level topics like the estate tax, federal and Washington state contact madrona financial services to get that plan the number 844 madrona 844 m-a-d-r-o-n-a or you can also get your plan online by requesting it at Madronafinancial.com you're listening to growing your wealth with brian evans thank you so much for joining us we're going to take a quick break be right back with more of our show after
0: this now back to more of growing your wealth with brian evans Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO
2: of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about step up in basis and inherited and gifted assets.
1: And Brian, one of the most effective ways to leave assets to a spouse or a loved one is to take advantage of the step up in basis. So for those people who do not know what that is, what is a step up in basis?
2: Yeah, I will uh, explain it first with an example. So let's say that you paid $1,000 for Microsoft stock way back in the day, and now it's worth $101,000. So when you sell it, there's a $100,000 taxable gain. If a husband and wife own this stock uh, and they sell it, again, 100,000 taxable gain at the capital gains rate, and so that's what's gotta be paid. But let's say that either one of the spouses passes away, and uh, the day, you know, the month after they pass away, that share of stock is sold, for the 101,000. The new cost basis is no longer the 1,000 you paid. It's been stepped up to the fair market value at the date of death. So at the date of death, the fair market value is 101,000. So the new cost basis is 101,000. So whatever that, those shares are sold for, the 101 will be subtracted from the proceeds to figure out your gain or your loss.
1: So, Brian, with the step of and basis, this has been quite beneficial to someone who is leaving a house, a home, some sort of real estate. But as you said, it can be a lot of other things other than real estate.
2: Yeah, it can be a lot of assets. Uh, it's almost easier to say what doesn't get a step-up in basis. So what does not get a step-up in basis is your retirement accounts. So any IRA, 401k type accounts do not get a step-up in basis. Annuities do not get a step-up in basis. Installment contracts do not get a step-up in basis. But basically everything else that you would own would receive the step-up in basis. And that, that rule is different, in, uh, for instance, in the state of Washington than is in a common law state. So there are nine community property states. state of Washington is one of them. When one spouse passes away, all of their community assets that are not you know, retirement account, installment sales, annuities, all of their other assets get a full step-up in basis. Now, if you're in one of the 41 common law states, you do not get the full step-up in basis. You get a half-step-up in basis.
1: So if an asset is though placed in a trust, I mean, can you still do the step-up in basis? Uh,
2: If it's a revocable living trust, yes. If it's an irrevocable trust, no. That mm-hmm. irrevocable trust is now a separate entity. It didn't die when you pass away. So uh, the basis uh, remains what it was going there. And that's why I want to talk about gifting. Let's say that uh, in our example, uh, husband and wife own the the Microsoft stock. is worth $101,000. And they go, we don't want to sell this and pay the tax on it. But we want it, our kid to have it. We're just going to give it to our kid. and And then he's going to sell it okay, well, when you gift something, you're also gifting the basis. So you just gifted the $1,000 basis. And let's say that the kid didn't sell the stock and one of the parents passes away. There is no step up because the parents don't own the stock anymore. The kid does. And so if the kid sells it, the basis is $1,000. So the kid would have a $100,000 gain because the asset was gifted. Now, let's say instead... Uh, It was inherited by that that kid. Well, if it's inherited money, then there was a step up in basis. So now you got the $101,000 stock and you say, okay, how much do I owe in tax? Well, nothing. And what if I sell it? Do I owe tax? then? no, because you have uh, a stepped-up basis.
1: So, Brian, the stepped-up basis sounds like a pretty good plan there. Uh, But are there any reasons why someone may not want to take advantage of the stepped-up basis?
2: Yeah. I mean, people listen to this and they're going, well, this all sounds good for people that are still around, but uh, step up in basis to, to get this great benefit, I have to die, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that This is something that happens upon somebody's death. And so uh, you may be more concerned about your own finances. And, and sure, you can hang on to all your appreciated assets till the day you die to make sure that those that inherit them, whether it's your spouse, your kids, or your charity, get a step up in basis. Uh, not that the charity needs that, but you know, you, you could keep all your assets and not sell any of them, but maybe, you need to sell them to have the life you want to live, and you're willing to pay the tax because you need the money. And so, certainly, this is to benefit someone else. This is not to benefit yourself. Uh, I, I somewhat joke about it. I said, you know, step up in basis is one of the best things in the tax law, but I don't recommend it as a planning strategy because you got to die to take advantage <laughs> of it. But there is the, the aspect that we all die someday. So, sometimes in the planning process, uh, you, you You say, well, I need the money. And say, well, how about instead of selling that Microsoft stock in this case, why don't we sell, you know, or, or cash out that CD that doesn't have a gain associated with it? So you can select which assets you're going to hang on to the day you pass. And then that's why we do a lot, you know, with people that own rentals, uh, real estate, that's why we do the Delaware Statutory Trust is to continue rolling the old basis forward until the day somebody passes away and then all of the gains on all the real estate you own your over your entire life that investment real estate become tax- tax-free due to the step-up in basis. So that's why we often talk about DSTs and Section 1031 exchanges when it comes to real estate.
1: We're talking about the step-up in basis inheritor gifted with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. Once again, questions, call 844-MADRONA, 844-MADRONA. So, Brian, we've talked about gifted. What about inherited assets?
2: Yeah, inherited assets. I I get a lot of questions. There are so many misconceptions about that. People think often that when they inherit money or assets that they have to pay taxes on that, like it's earnings. You do not. You do not owe money on inherited assets for estate tax. So the way it works is, let's say somebody passes away and they have a taxable estate. The executor is going to make sure that estate tax is done. If there's money to be paid, because it's over the thresholds, then that money will be paid out of the estate before you inherit anything from that estate. So if you inherit money from an estate, that any estate tax that was owed has already been paid. Okay, it's been paid at the source. So money you receive in inheritance is not income to you. It's nothing. It's just you get it. Now, often it's uh, some of the assets, let's say it's a house you inherited or a stock account or, or something like that. You got to step up in basis. So you could turn around and sell it and not even have any taxable gains. In my example with a Microsoft stock, $101,000 comes to you. And let's say the stock drops to 90 and you sell it and you, your parents paid $1,000 for it. It was worth 101 when you received it and uh, upon their death, but by the time you sold it, it was only worth 90. You actually can claim an $11,000 loss on that stock because it went down from its stepped up basis. If you inherit an IRA account, however, when you cash that in, you will pay tax on it. You usually have about five years to do that with. So inherited assets can have taxation if they're retirement account assets, but often they don't have any taxation. They certainly don't have the estate tax. That's already been paid at the
1: source. So Brian, explain a scenario involving real estate and this topic.
2: Yeah, so let's say that you had a uh, real estate that you paid five hundred thousand dollars for, and you've owned it for twenty years. And uh, let's say it's not in the state of Washington; it'd be a bad example. It didn't go up in value that much. It's worth seven hundred thousand, and uh, you say, "Well, I'm going to sell it, and I might as well just pay the tax because I only have." Uh, a little bit of a gain you know 200 thousand in this case uh, well that that's not exactly true because if you've owned the real estate long enough you've been taking depreciation deductions on it your whole life and so now the cost basis is no longer the five hundred thousand that you paid it might be down to about two hundred thousand in this case so if you sell it for 700 even though you paid 500 your actual cost basis has been lowering every year by the depreciation and you would have depreciation recapture to pay tax on if you sell it that asset. So uh, to avoid the $500,000 gain, what you would want to do is if you sell that asset, do a section 1031 exchange and either buy replacement property or buy a Delaware statutory trust where you don't have to be the landlord. And you will continue to roll Uh, that that $200,000 cost basis in this asset, in this example, will continue to roll into your new properties. And so they will have low basis. But if you uh, still own them, either you or your spouse passes away in the state of Washington, then uh, you'll get a full step up. So not only is the capital gain stepped up, but all the depreciation recapture that was sitting there waiting to be taxed Uh goes away permanently through the step up in basis
1: also. Brian, I had to chuckle a little bit there because, I mean, we've been doing this for about seven and a half years, and every week I'm still impressed at your depth of knowledge about these particular types of advanced topics here. And it occurs to me that your average financial advisor in a strip mall or something like that's probably not going to be able to talk as in-depth about this sort of thing, right? Well, I'm going to toot my own horn, I guess, and say, yeah, you're probably right about that. <laughs> but, you know, hey, I, I, I
2: paid the, paid my dues. Yeah. I'm the one that sat on the beach with the master tax guide year mm-hmm. after year. So, uh, And uh, did the work to become a partner of a CPA firm before I ever thought about becoming a financial advisor. And that's what I love about this firm. Uh, we've got seven advisors here. Uh, boy, there's a depth of knowledge here. Several of them are CPAs. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we have a whole CPA firm, too, to turn to for advanced. Advanced tax questions, and certainly I'm a resource for the advisors here. I don't do a lot of the new client meetings anymore. Uh, my advisors do, but they always are talking to me. Every day I'm talking to my advisors about the cases we're working on together and, and uh, what, what the
1: best options are. And again, that is one of the great benefits here of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evan CPAs is not only the financial advisors, but the CPA part of it as well, too. And as you said, Brian, many of the advisors are also CPAs. So they're not only across the hall, but they're across the other side of the brain as well, too. If you have questions about this particular topic, step up in basis, inherited or gifted, you simply call 844-MADRONA. That is the same number to call if you have at least $500,000 to invest and you're looking to hire a new financial advisor. 844-MADRONA is the number to call to get your complimentary no-cost, no-obligation financial plan. You can also request it online at madronafinancial.com. Time for a break. We'll be right back with the final segment of our show after this.
0: Now, back to Growing Your Wealth with Brian
2: Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial Services and Bauer Evans CPAs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about trustees and a corporate trustee model.
1: And Brian, you know, trusts can be a powerful tool to execute the proper distribution of assets after you no longer are able. But a lot of people don't know a lot about trust. We've heard about them, but we don't know the details. Can you explain in a nutshell what a trust really is?
2: Yeah, I'll do my best here. Uh, there's two basic kinds of trusts. There's irrevocable and revocable. So when we talk about revocable living trusts, that is in lieu of a will, and so that allows somebody to, when they pass away, they don't have to take their estate through probate. So a lot of attorneys like to set up revocable living trusts. It's something that can be changed, that hence the term revocable. Uh, An irrevocable trust, as the name would imply, is a separate. entity entity that is set up. Once assets are put into that trust, you can't take them back. You can't uh, revoke that; it's irrevocable. And so, every trust needs, uh, every irrevocable trust certainly needs a trustee. So somebody's kind of in charge. So think of the trust as a its own little corporation, and every corporation needs a CEO. Well, this trust needs a CEO, and that CEO is called the trustee.
1: Okay, so Brian, every trust needs a trustee to perform the required task. So, what are the options for trustees? well
2: often uh, a family member is named you know and the, and the reason i wanted to talk about this topic today is because that's not always the best ceo uh think about your own kids would you put them in charge of your Corporation, you know, if you had one, would sure. you make them the CEO? Maybe not. Maybe you would. It could be your brother and sister. Would you put them as a CEO? Maybe not. Maybe you would. Your spouse can be a, a trustee, um, and that, and that can have some benefits and some detriments too. So I did want to talk about some of the scenarios that that I have seen happen, but you need to be very careful about who you select as your trustee and as your contingent trustee in case something happens to them. I remember once I was talking to this fella. He was in his 80s, and we were talking about uh, what happens to him, you know, to his wife. And well, you know, uh, then the money goes into trust for her. And I said, "Well, who do you, who did you name as trustee?" He said, "Well, I named my brother." And I'm looking at this guy, going, "Your brother? Yeah, my older brother." And I'm <laughs> going, "Oh, how's he doing? You know, oh, not so good. He's 87. He's got really <laughs> uh, dementia." Wow. I said, "Well." Okay, so he's going to be the trustee in charge of the money to take care of your wife when she's got dementia. And he already is way ahead of her. Some, I I don't think this is going to work out too good. Do you have anybody else He said no? And so I said, okay, well, we want to update this will. And we want to name a different trustee and successor trustee within it.
1: So could you appoint someone else a trustee besides a family member, such as a big bank, or are there corporate trustee models?
2: Yeah. Well, in this case, uh, I said, well, do you have any kids? And he said, no, I don't have any kids. I have a nephew, just one nephew. And I said, mm-hmm. well, tell me about that nephew. And he said, yeah, I don't like him. <laughs> I said, oh, <laughs> so you don't have a good relationship? No, not at all. But he's the only family I got. Right. And so he's the contingent trustee. And I said, well, he's also inheriting some money from this. So do you think he's going to make really good decisions to the benefit of your spouse if, if you're not here anymore and they get whatever they don't spend uh, left to them and as an inheritance? Uh, I'm thinking her her uh, nursing home is going to be a, a shopping cart in the back of a Rite Aid, you know, it's right. whatever's cheap. And he said, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And I said, OK, so here's where we need to start the discussion about the corporate trustee model where you can get an outside corporate trustee where you don't have uh, the family members or the friends or, or loved ones that are able to properly uh, be be a trustee.
1: So you can have a corporate trustee, but you could also have something like a big bank. I mean, why would you not want to do that?
2: Well, often uh, the stories I've heard about uh, bank trustees, um, I've probably heard about 50 stories. And I think about... 50 didn't go well. <laughs> Maybe 49. Maybe there was one that went well. I don't remember. But almost invariably, uh, they're very inflexible. Um, you can't get them off as trustees once they're named, really. Uh, it takes an act of God to do that and, and uh, a, a judge. Um, and that, that just probably isn't going to happen. Uh, the assets are invested in their proprietary products. The fees are really high. The service is low. There's no customization to the wishes of, of, of the the uh, grantor, the, the trustor uh, that set this up, uh, you know, and they passed away, so they can't do anything to change. And so I've heard some not so great stories about most of the large bank, large institutional trust options.
1: So what would be the main benefits of hiring a corporate trustee? Well, here's
2: the the corporate trustee model I want to talk about. Uh, certainly, there are smaller trust companies; they're still huge, you know, like licensed mm-hmm. in all fifty states. But uh, many financial advisors now have access to uh, trust companies where they're part of the team. So, uh, in my example, I call the the trustee the CEO. Well, the CFO would be your financial advisor. So you might have a team, and you might also have a A COO, we'll call it Chief Operating Officer, would be a family member uh, that can give thoughts about, you know, what dear old dad or dear old mom would have wanted, that kind of thing, and what's going on uh, within the family. But the actual person that signs the documents and takes responsibility for decisions would be the CEO, the trustee in this case. And the financial decisions can be made by the CFO, the financial advisory firm, like our own firm, Madrona Financial, or or another firm that you work with, would be kind of the CFO in this situation. And so when uh, family members are upset with the decisions, they can't go after the family member. The family member says, well, it wasn't me that made the decision." trustee, go, go talk to them. And that's the CEO. And they've, they've got thick skin, so they're not worried about uh, arguments and so forth because they've taken the emotion out of it. So it's a gr- really great model when you get the, the group working together, uh, the, again, the family influence, if that's possible, the financial advisor and the corporate trustee.
1: Brian, if someone has decided that they do want to use a corporate trustee, there are many corporate trustee companies out there. What are some of the questions? I mean, how would you vet a corporate trustee? That's not easy to do. Uh, as,
2: as somebody listening to us today, I, I would say I'm, I'm not sure how I'd really answer that. I have vetted uh, corporate trustees. Uh, I'm, I have a particular national advisors trust that I work with. They're licensed in 50 states. Uh, they're who uh, my clients will often put, often they put as successor. Um, so maybe their spouse is going to be trustee. And then if the spouse is unable or unwilling to be trustee, the successor is National Advisors Trust work, working with us. Uh, where they have kids that they know they're going to fight um, and they want to avoid that, uh, they'll, they'll name National Advisors Trust in their will as trustee or successor trustee. And so that uh, – I, I know that it's named in a lot of my clients' wills and living trusts currently – and so we would be able to uh, be part of the solution going forward. And where this can be really important is, let's say you want to leave a, a beach house in the family. Well, if you if you put that, uh, you tell you know a big bank or something about that, they're going to go, okay, sure, whatever. And but then when you die, they're just going to sell the beach house. Sure, they're yeah. not going to keep it. That's work. Yeah. And so you want to find a trustee. I think a big question is. Can you uh, deal with uh, non-traditional assets? How do you do with those? Are, are you going to be able to keep them? Are you going to be able to carry out the wishes of the trustor that set this up, the, the person that's going to pass away someday? Uh, that's, I think, the biggest area. Or are you just going to sell everything and put it in your own proprietary
1: products? Brian, you know, having a corporate trustee sounds like a pretty good idea. I can see the benefits of that. But are there any detriments to having a corporate trustee?
2: There are always detriments. Thank you, Jeff. We bring this up every show. <laughs> yep. For everything, there's positives and everything there's negatives. Uh, detriments to a corporate trustee is it, it can be more expensive. You have to pay to get this service done, whereas maybe a family member wouldn't charge as much. If you pick the wrong trustee, uh, as I mentioned, if it's a big bank, they might be very impersonal, sell all the assets and and not really follow the wishes. So make sure you have to make sure you vetted your, your trust company. And as I said, that's not easy to do. You're putting a lot of reliance on your financial advisor to do that for you. Uh, once you've named a corporate trustee, uh, someone can't just undo that later. It's it's almost impossible. So those those are probably the reasons why you wouldn't want to do it. Uh, but uh, certainly the corporate trustee that I'm talking about is, is very, very low fees relative to banks. And I think it's a great model when working with a financial advisor to have uh, somebody that's uh, separated emotionally uh, from the decisions that would have to be made. Rather than putting that on a family member, almost certain, I've seen it a million Times you know, a family member gets named. The other family members aren't talking to him after a short period of time because they're not doing exactly what they want him to do, and they don't trust him or what anymore. And and then the family blows up. So this is a way to uh, you know on the on the benefits side, maybe keep a family together from fighting because uh, money does funny things to people. Oh, yeah. uh, I'm sure everybody
1: listening has an inheritance story that didn't oh, yeah. go well, and I know you're right about that, Brian. And the corporate trustee model, it can be good, but it may not be right for you. If you have questions about a corporate trustee model, simply give the firm here a call, 844-MADRONA. And you can also ask your questions online by visiting madronafinancial.com. If you have questions about anything that we have spoken about on the show today, certainly you can call those in to 844-MADRONA or ask them at madronafinancial.com. Also, $500,000 or more to invest and you're looking to hire a new financial advisor. It's not going to cost you a dime, no cost and no obligation whatsoever to get your complimentary financial plan. 844-MADRONA or online at madronafinancial.com. And before we go today, for those people uh, listening to us on the radio, we certainly do love your company. But if you'd like to listen to us as a podcast, our show is also on podcast platforms. Wherever you get your podcasts, simply search Brian Evans Growing Your Wealth. We've got well over 100 episodes right there. I'm sure there is one that will apply to your specific situation. Out of time for this week. Brian, thank you so much for your time. Thank our listeners for their time. Get out there. Have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition
0: of Growing Your Wealth. No investment strategy, including asset allocation or diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.